Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back with Tom Jensen, who's the Director of Public Policy Polling. Tom has been with us a number of times, and we've been talking about kind of serious matters for most of the program so far. Tom, you always do a little bit of, uh, I guess, human interest polling along with the rest of it. Have you done any of that recently? You know, I must admit, we do a lot less fun stuff than we used to uh, because politics has gotten a lot less fun over the last five years. Uh, and 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 there just hadn't been anything real funny a lot of the time for us to focus on. So I, I wish I could tell you something good that we had in that realm, but off the top of my head, I, I, I can't think of something the way that we used to always have those things. I hope that we uh, return to a time again where Democrats and Republicans can laugh with each other and have a sense of humor and be more lighthearted. But uh, uh, I don't think that we are at that point at this moment in time. Have you done any polling on uh, the future of college athletics and the two big issues that uh, uh, that seem to be occupying the sports news right now, the, uh, the uh, portal for transfers and the uh, image possibilities for paying athletes or their ability to earn. Have you done any polling on that? Uh, We have not done it ourselves, but there's definitely sort of a sea change where people are becoming more and more supportive and other polling that we've seen of student athletes being able to profit uh, from the use of their name or image. There have been a couple polls recently that have found about 60 to 70 percent support for that idea. Uh, And this really is the kind of thing where when you pulled on it a decade ago, you know, people's response would be something along the lines of, well, they're getting a scholarship. They are being compensated. And I think there's increased sort of uh, belief and awareness that college athletes are sacrificing so much and putting so much on the table and so much money is being made off of college athletics that they deserve something a little bit more than just that scholarship in terms of uh, being compensated. So uh, definitely we see the idea of college athletes being able to make some money off of what they're doing uh, to be something that the public is uh, coming up with more and more support for. Uh, we don't have any polling specifically on the sort of transfer portal issue, uh, but just in general, we are seeing that people think student athletes should have more rights Uh, So the right to transfer and be able to play immediately certainly is something that would fall within that uh, category. And I think it's something where there may be a divide between the hardest core college sports fans and people who sort of follow it more casually. If you're somebody like you or me who just really cares about college sports and is, you know, sort of used to being able to get to know players over three or four years, uh, I think for us, we can really see how this proliferation of transfers is hurting college sports. But if you're somebody who's sort of just looking at it from a broader sort of, you know, should these young kids be able to sort of do whatever they want issue, I think people are more sympathetic to it from that angle. Well, you know, we obviously, as soon as one election is over, we immediately start talking about the next. And uh, so the midterm election is coming up. The, the Democrats have the, the barest of uh, margins in the United States Senate. Is it likely or unlikely that that uh, will uh, continue in the after the midterm elections? What are the prospects for the Republicans as far as re, regaining control of the Senate? 
So there's sort of an interesting uh, dynamic where two things are sort of cutting against each other uh, when it comes to that issue, which is that the map is better for Democrats than it is for Republicans. There's not a single Democratic senator up for re-election next year uh, in a state that Trump won. And there are several Republican senators up for re-election next year uh, in states that Biden won. There's an open seat in Pennsylvania where the Republican incumbent Pat Toomey has already retired. So there's a chance for Democrats to pick up a seat there in a state that Biden won. And then in Wisconsin, uh, Senator Ron Johnson's up for re-election and has pretty poor approval numbers, approval numbers in the 30s. So that's another place where Democrats are going to have a good opportunity in the state that Biden won. Uh, so in that sense, the map is good for Democrats. There's some seats open in states that they were able to win in last year's election. But the argument for Republicans having an opportunity to take back control is that almost inevitably in a midterm election, people vote against the party that's in the White House. Uh, and Democrats do have a number of seats that they have to defend next year in states that even though Biden won them, he only won them narrowly. So Democrats have to defend a seat in Georgia, which Biden only won by 14,000 votes. Democrats have to defend a seat in Nevada, which Democrats only won by three points. Democrats have to defend a seat in Arizona, uh, which, uh, which Biden won by less than half a point. Uh, so, and then one other seat just to add to that mix, even though Biden won New Hampshire pretty easily, uh, New Hampshire has a very popular Republican governor, Chris Sununu, uh, and if he decides to run for the Senate, he's going to have a very good chance against the Democratic incumbent there. So even though Democrats arguably have the best opportunities based on the map, Republicans might have the most opportunities when you look at all the different places across the country where they have an opportunity to potentially pick up a seat. And if the political climate's good for Republicans, uh, that's going to be uh, a situation where they have a pretty good chance of taking control. Let's turn to North Carolina and that uh, Senator Bursey, because lots of candidates are surfacing on, on both parties. Uh, how, how is that going to shake out with so many people showing interest? I think that Republicans are going to be sort of uh, modestly favored to win this seat to start out. And what's really interesting about North Carolina, and I think you and I discussed this several times last year, is that North Carolina has consistently, over the last few elections, shown itself to be a 51 to 49 state. In 2014, the Senate race was the premier race in the state. Republicans won 51 49. In 2016, when you look at the judicial races in the state, which are often the best sort of measure of the partisan balance in the state because people don't know anything about the candidates and they're just voting for a party, it was 51-49 for the Republicans. 2018 felt like it was a great big year for Democrats. It was a 51-49 to year for Democrats. And then in 2020, uh, we talk about the polling being a little bit off. We thought it was going to be a 51 to 49 year for Democrats. It ended up being a 51 to 49 year for Republicans. So four elections in a row in this state, one party or the other is one 51 to 49. When you sort of look at everything holistically, it just happens that three out of four times in those elections, it was the Republicans who had the 51 49 advantage. 
So if you think of North Carolina as sort of starting out at 51 to 49 for the Republicans, and you think about it being a midterm year with a Democratic president, where typically there's a backlash against the party of the president in their first midterm as a president, that basically puts you in a situation where you start out at 51, 49 for the Republicans, and maybe they add another point because uh, of backlash against the Democratic president in his first midterm. If you ask me to make a prediction in April of 2021, 19 months out from the election, I would predict that the Republican Senate candidate wins 52 to 48. But as you note, there's a lot of people interested in running on the Democratic side. And there's a lot of people interested in running on the Republican side. And where Democrats could maybe upend that generic sort of 52 to 48 advantage you might expect Republicans to have is if Republicans end up with a weak candidate in a crowded field, if Democrats end up with an unusually strong candidate. One thing that the General Assembly has done in recent years uh, is they've reduced the runoff threshold to where you can win the nomination with just 30% of the vote uh, instead of before you had to get 40% of the vote in the primary to win the nomination. Well, what's risky about that for Republicans is you could nominate somebody who's really out to lunch with 31% of the vote in the primary, and all of a sudden you have a weak candidate. And that is sort of, I think, what the path to Democrats winning this would be, is if somehow Republicans emerge from a crowded field with a poor candidate. If uh, former President Trump's daughter-in-law elects to run, and she does have some North Carolina heritage and has, of course, obviously been mentioned as a candidate. How does that change the Republican primary? If she decides to run, she's the favorite. Uh, we did a poll a couple months ago that found that she has an 80% favorability rating with Republican voters in North Carolina. And for instance, somebody else who we tested in that poll was former Governor Pat McCrory. He had a 60% favorability rating with Republican voters in North Carolina. So Laura Trump is 20 points better in terms of her image with Republicans in North Carolina than of the most recent former Republican governor of the state. Uh, so I, you know, I wouldn't say that if she runs that that clears the field, but if she runs, she's going to start out as the favorite. And it's going to be very challenging for anybody else to to beat her because that Trump name is so strong in Republican politics in the state. So uh, what do you think the likelihood is that she will run? Uh, I guess I this is more of a public, a private <laughs> opinion than a public op opinion poll. I don't think it's very likely that she's actually going to run. She doesn't seem to be making any real moves towards running. Um, she, uh, I think recently took some sort of Fox news job that she would definitely have to, you know, very quickly give up if she decided to become a candidate for the Senate. And one other thing that's sort of interesting to note is we already knew that former Republican Congressman Mark Walker was going to run, uh, Carolina journals now pretty firmly reporting that current Republican Congressman Ted Budd is also going to run. That means he's given up his House seat to run for the Senate. And I just wonder if he would be given up his House seat uh, if he thought he was going to have to contend with Laura Trump in a primary. Uh, that would be such a challenging thing for anybody to do. Um, my, my sense is that he might have a good idea that she's not running for him to have made that decision to give up his House seat and get into the race. Well, you know, we mentioned all sorts of things about uh, the the relative silence of President Trump so far. Uh, 
Uh, what do you think the prospects are that uh, he will seek the presidency again? Uh, my guess is that he will not run for president again. Uh, I don't know how much he actually liked being president, um, the work. And I just think as he, you know, gets four years older um, and, uh, you know, sort of thinks about everything that goes into getting back into that, I wouldn't be surprised if the Trump candidate in the next election is one of his children uh, rather than being Trump himself. But Trump is nothing if not unpredictable. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays itself out. How do you see uh, him reemerging as far as a voice that is more publicly heard uh, in the next uh, year? I think he'll get more visible. Um, you know, there's all sorts of speculation about whether he's going to end up having a TV show or even his own TV network. I mean, if there is one thing we know about Trump's psychology over the years is that he does not enjoy not being the center of attention. Uh, so I'm sure that he'll be looking for more and more ways to insert himself into sort of the middle of the political picture. And one thing we know for sure that he's going to be doing is any Republican who crossed him, any House Republican who voted for impeachment, like uh, Liz Cheney in Wyoming, any Republican who didn't do enough to help him uh, sort of navigate the election results and help him stay in office, like the governor of Georgia, he's coming after those people. So he's going to be very active in Republican primaries next year, sort of trying to get allies of himself in there. Uh, and I'm sure we'll see a lot from him in terms of uh, being active on the campaign trail in those sorts of regards. Well, there's an old saying, don't don't get mad, get even. He he, he seems to want to do both. He, he <laughs> seems to want to get mad and get even. I guess it's uh, Tom Jensen, uh, the director of public policy polling. We have one final segment. And in that segment, we're going to turn again to North Carolina and the uh, the uh, changes that may come about because of the fact that uh, the new census may allow us a, an additional congressional seat. We'll talk with uh, Tom about that when we return with the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting. A Teenager. Learning the Lingo. Today I'm going to help parents translate teen slang. Now, when a teen says something is on fleek, it's exactly like saying, that's rad. It simply means that something is awesome or cool. Another one is totes. It's exactly like saying totally, just shorter. As in, I totes love going to the mall with Becca. Another word you might hear is jelly. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous. As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will think you're, um, rad just the same. To learn more, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No. I'm asking it questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best friends? I'm sorry. I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. 
Back on Carolina Newsmakers, Tom Jensen is our guest this week. He is, of course, the director of public policy polling, a company that does polling not only in the state of North Carolina, but across the country, and is recognized by many as a very reputable and dependable polling company. Tom has been uh, doing this work now, I think you said for 16 years, is that right? Uh, yeah, 14. 14, well, 14, 15, 16, you know, it all, <laughs> it all begins to run together after a while, Tom. Uh, but uh, Tom has been a frequent guest on our program, and we certainly appreciate him sharing the information that he gathers through these polls that they are constantly doing. Uh, Tom, one of the things we haven't talked about is the change in North Carolina politics that will be brought about by the results of the census when it finally comes out. North Carolina continues to grow, and uh, it's, uh, uh, of course, almost a foregone conclusion that we're going to gain another congressional district, which means, of course, that uh, we will have to look at redistricting again. Um, and uh, that, of course, is uh, uh, in the hands of the General Assembly, uh, but, but with a lot of guidelines and a lot of uh, uh, effects from court rulings and so forth. So how do you see the 14th District changing politics in North Carolina as far as the congressional delegation? Well, you know, for most of the decade, Republicans were able to draw a map that resulted in, even though the state's pretty close to 50-50, having 10 Republican members of the House and only three Democratic members of the House. So uh, I think what's going to be really interesting to see is how ambitious Republicans try to get with this uh, new set of maps that they draw. Um, the court stepped in and made a new congressional map just for this last election that resulted in an eight to five delegation instead of a 10 to three delegation. But my guess is that Republicans are going to go right back uh, and try to get rid of at least one of the new Democratic districts that got created for the 2020 election. And I think that they'll try to draw a map that's either 11 to three for the Republicans or 10 to four for the Republicans. Uh, I think, uh, you know, what they might do is try to draw a 10 to 4 map. So what you would do in that uh, instance is try to either get rid of Deborah Ross or Kathy Manning, one of the two new Democratic members of Congress, uh, and then you would draw two new Republican districts, and, and that would sort of be how that goes. Uh, one thing that's going to be very interesting to see with redistricting is whether we end up in a decade of litigation, uh, just like we did um, in this last decade, where we were constantly having to redraw the maps. We had three sets of maps over the course of the last decade uh, because uh, there just kept being uh, illegalities such that they had to be redrawn. So that's something that'll be very interesting to see is if we have just one set of congressional uh, maps for this decade, or if we end up going through a, a ton of them like we did for the last decade. The, the, North Carolina being a purple state becomes very important on the national scene, far more important than it, it ever has been. And with the 51-49 situation that you mentioned, uh, President Trump, of course, was a very frequent guest in North Carolina and uh, uh, valued the uh, his position in North Carolina greatly. Do you see uh, President Biden uh, spending more time in North Carolina than he has in the past so far? 
Uh, I do, especially because North Carolina potentially has the important has the potential to be such an important part of the picture uh, for the Senate next year. I think that this is definitely uh, somewhere where Democrats are going to see this as probably their third best opportunity to pick up a seat. So they will want to uh, make sure that they are staying very uh, active here. And, you know, part of the problem, the reason that things were disappointing for Democrats in the state last year was, as we talked about earlier in the show, Republicans turning out at a rate six points higher than Democrats. And I think that Democrats are going to see that, you know, if they could match Republicans on turnout, they would have won the U.S. Senate race last year. Biden would have won the state last year. So I think you'll certainly see Biden doing everything that he can to get the Democratic base engaged uh, to try to, to ensure that Democrats don't keep getting beat on turnout and losing elections 51 to 49 simply because Republicans did a better job of getting to the polls. Who are the emerging candidates as far as your polling might indicate for a successor to Roy Cooper? Uh, Honestly, haven't really gotten into that in terms of the polling. Uh, I think on the Democratic side, Josh Stein is going to be sort of a very clear, overwhelming front runner, our current attorney general, to be the Democratic candidate for governor. Uh, You know, he was just about the only Democrat in the Council of State uh, who's seen as having those kinds of aspirations, who was able to win their election in November, uh, even though I'm sure that uh, Josh would have liked to see Democrats win races for stuff like lieutenant governor and state treasurer and uh, those kinds of offices. The the reality of him winning when nobody else did is that positions him very, very strongly uh, to be the nominee for governor in 2024. And I think he'll be a very strong candidate. Uh, It's less clear on the Republican side. Uh, I still think there's a possibility Pat McCrory might be interested in coming back and running again. You very well could see Dan Forrest running again after he actually ended up coming pretty close to Roy Cooper last fall, given Cooper's level of popularity. Uh, And then I think you also sort of look some to the Republican congressional delegation. There's a lot of House members who, you know, it'll be interesting to see if they really want to be in the House forever. Somebody like uh, David Rouser from the southeastern part of the state in Congress used to be uh, a member of the General Assembly. Greg Murphy, who represents eastern North Carolina, used to be a member of the General Assembly. Um, Richard Hudson used to be uh, Pat McCrory's main political guy from the um, Sand Hills in Congress. So there's a lot of members of Congress who have spent a lot of time in Raleigh and might want to come back as the head guy. North Carolina seemingly has come out of the uh, uh, COVID uh, pandemic uh, with relatively good marks as far as how we've handled it, because we've, on the whole, had uh, better results as far as hospitalizations. We've never really been super challenged there. Uh, we seemingly have beat the odds of, of almost all the states. What polling have you done that would show what interest and what appreciation North Carolinians have for the way that North Carolina has handled COVID-19? Well, we did a poll uh, recently and we asked people, how would you rate Governor Cooper's handling of the COVID crisis? Excellent, good, fair, or poor? And when you combine excellent and good, uh, Cooper gets 54%, which is pretty solid. 
But what then I thought was really interesting was that when you add in fair, Cooper gets all the way up to 73%. Only 25% of voters in the state say that Cooper has done a poor job handling COVID. Uh, and when we talk about how much Democrats and Republicans hate each other these days, to only have 25% of voters say that they think Cooper's done a poor job handling COVID really is pretty impressive. And that is how he was able to uh, win the state, even as the rest of the Democrats were pretty much losing the state. Uh, and that's why we continue to find him with uh, pretty high approval numbers, uh, about uh, 54% of voters approve of the job, excuse me, 52% of job voters approve of the job he's doing right now, only 40% disapprove. What that means is that even people who didn't vote for him like the job he's doing, at least some of them, because he only won the state by five points in uh, November. So definitely, as he's been able to ease some of the restrictions and as more and more people have been getting vaccinated, Cooper's getting pretty good marks on that front. What are the key issues for North Carolina politicians uh, during the next 12 months? What What is the public seemingly more concerned about? Let's take out, uh, remove the COVID-19 uh, situation, the pandemic, uh, that obviously is one big issue that everyone is still uh, focusing on. But what other issues seemingly will determine the future of North Carolina politics? You know, education is always near, near the top of the list, but I think one thing that's just going to receive more and more dialogue in the coming months is uh, what we do about health care and Medicaid expansion. Uh, there are definitely some Republicans in the General Assembly who want to do Medicaid expansion, in addition to pretty much all of the Democrats wanting to do it, and certainly the governors wanting to do it. And it's something that we see strong public support for about 60% of voters in the state support expanding Medicaid. Only about 30% of voters oppose it. Uh, so I think that's an issue that we could hear a lot about. An issue we're going to hear a lot about, we talked earlier about what the ramifications of the new district maps might be, but something that's going to get talked about a lot uh, in addition to the specific maps is the process for redistricting and whether we ought to have a nonpartisan redistricting process in the state uh, that sort of takes the map drawing process out of politicians' hands uh, and makes it so that we're not spending so much time wrapped up in litigation, that we uh, sort of have a clear picture uh, going forward of how this is going to be done so that we don't keep sort of leading the nation uh, in terms of, you know, having this all stuck in the court. So Medicaid expansion, redistricting, education, I think those are all uh, sort of evergreen issues that we're going to hear a lot about. The other thing that's interesting about North Carolina is while last year at this time we all thought we would have a budget crisis, we've actually turned out to have plenty of money, and especially with all the federal aid coming in. Uh, uh, that usually brings out uh, some uh, different opinions on how that extra money will be spent. Uh, what do you think, uh, how will that affect uh, the decisions of the members of the General Assembly? Well, I think that, uh, you know, in an election year, it maybe gives Republicans the opportunity to think about giving teachers a raise and sort of try to neutralize that issue uh, in terms of the, uh, you know, education stuff tends to be stuff that Democrats are more uh, trusted on by voters. But if there is a lot of money, uh, it gives the General Assembly the opportunity to work together with the governor to maybe find some common ground where everybody gets credit. 
Uh, and certainly in politics, when it's not a zero-sum game, uh, you're a lot more likely to see sides be able to work together to make things happen. You've got about 30 seconds. What are your future polls going to uh, focus on? Uh, really, we're sort of just getting our first big look at the landscape for next year. Usually things are very bad for the incumbents party in a midterm election. It's not showing up in our polling yet. Uh, Republicans were already falling apart at this time four years ago. Not happening for Democrats yet. Interesting to see if that happens soon. Tom, thank you so much for sharing your uh, uh, thoughts with us. I've asked you some questions actually that go beyond polling, and I appreciate you sharing your opinions on that. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and we'll have another interesting guest next week. Remember, if you'd like to share this program with a friend or hear a repeat of the broadcast, you can go to carolinanewsmakers.com and do just that. Uh, so again, until next week, on this same group of stations all across North Carolina, I hope you have a great week. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.